Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. Today's episode, we will be discussing something that everybody talks about and works on constantly, and something that is more and more important every day in today's hustle culture, and this is resilience. I am delighted to welcome Dr. Marie-Hélène Pelletier, a mental health expert, a work psychologist, and the author of the soon-to-be-published The Resilience Plan. Marie-Hélène, welcome to the show. Susie, it's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Marie-Hélène, you work with organizations and leaders on this ever-growing topic of mental health, work-related stress, burnout, and its effect on both individuals and teams. And I know that your quest is to operationalize your mastery of this subject and provide tangible and actionable alternatives for people to manage this subject and therefore their lives and their stress differently. And it's a quest we share, of course. But we see more and more pressure coming from hybrid working, I think, and the fact that we're all connected 24-7 and that we need to be, and I'm going to put it in inverted commas, resilient. So can we start with that word? We hear a lot about leaders needing to be resilient, which seems to be a simple thing to ask, but it's also become a buzzword for me. So everyone has their own definition. And as you state in your work, context to this is really key. So can we start there? Can you tell us what led you to write your book, The Resilience Plan? Why resilience and why now? Yes, yes. Agree with everything <laughs> you just said about the context. Mm. In some ways, it has become a buzzword. And so and in some ways, some people have been even tired of it because of how it's been used. Yeah. But bottom line is, okay, so let's start from the beginning. There are various definitions, even when we're looking at academic literature on resilience. But one that is most consistently used is our ability to go through adversity, learn from it, get out even stronger. Mm. And so it refers to a very acute adversity at times, but also yep. chronic, just lots yep. of demands all at the same time. And what is very important with this is that it is not a personality trait, something we have or don't have. Hmm. It is something that at times will be higher for each of us. At times it may be a bit lower. And it also means, therefore, that we can influence it. Hmm. And it is important because it is in the context where there are so many things we don't have control over. This is something we do have control yeah. over that we can influence ideally proactively. And if we do, everything will be better. Our health, our performance, our contributions, our happiness with what we mm. do, engagement, mm. satisfaction. Mm. So it's a it's a real opportunity. And a lot of people I work with, professionals, leaders, see this opportunity if it's presented to them in a way that makes sense. And that's the essence of the book. Yeah. And I really like that because it is about being what's in your circle of control. And of course, yes. the brain likes that, doesn't it? When when we feel that we, we have some control over it. And I think <laughs> particularly on this subject. So it's often seen not as a strategic topic, but more of a sign of a good leader. So good leadership is being able to tough it out right to the end, but often at any cost to the leader and also to his or her team. So how can we impact that definition? with your work, because I found a lot of things in there, we won't be able to touch on them all, but we'll touch on some of them, around how you help people reframe not only resilience, but how they can act on that. Yeah, so how do we modify this conversation? Yeah. Right? It, it, because even though, so it is not a personality trait and all these kinds of things, we can build it. Mm. Even then, we tend to assume that is part of who we are. We've shown resilience many times before. We 
start thinking that this is how we are. And even people around us will tell us, oh, Susie, you're so resilient, you know, or this person on my team is resilient or this person on my team is not resilient as if it was a something a bit permanent. And so one of the key things is to shift this to realizing that no, it goes up, it goes down, and therefore we can influence it. And then the second key thing I would say, there are many, but perhaps mm-hmm. the second one I would say is part of what makes us not take action or see the benefit of taking action is that whenever we hear about resilience, it's this grocery list, almost yeah. this checklist of five or 20 things. I recently, I know I received in my inbox from a very renowned source, here are the 20 articles you need to read to be resilient. Well, number one, I don't have time. Number two, even if I read them, doesn't mean that I will implement them. And so it's considering our current context and what is possible to implement, what makes most sense Mm -hmm. and what makes sense for you, Susie, or me, Marie Helen, at this point Mm -hmm. will be different. Mm -hmm. And if we pay attention to this, then we've got a better chance. We have. And if I come back to context, I really liked uh, the quadrant that you share in your book around internal context and external context. So what I'm going to call internal systems and external systems. Can you walk our listeners through that a little bit? I find that very helpful in terms of framing what is where and what I can and can't do. Yes. And I came to this, if I step back for a quick second, Because I was in my work working a lot with uh, individuals who are in either directly involved in business decisions or Mm. are very close to them. And yet they would come to me and say, Marie-Hélène, I don't know what my problem is. Everything's always been the same. Mm. I've been dealing with everything. And right now, I just don't seem to have it. What's Mm. my problem? And then I found myself using this analogy of how in business, when we are aiming to, say, launch a new product or a new service, we would not just go and launch it. We would. It looked very much at what is the context here. Mm. We would use the SWOT analysis, right? The strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so the same way here, when we're looking at building our own resilience even further, we need to take our similar internal and external context into account. Mm. When we do this, then it allows us to identify more realistic next steps Mm. that will be possible to implement and will have a good outcome. I'll give you an example. Mm. So let's say I'm working with a leader who, yes, wants to increase their resilience. They know of all the things they should do. They wish they could. They don't have time. It never works. That's the way it is. Okay. But then we would look at, okay, what's a source of internal support, an Mm. aspect of their internal context that supports it? Well, it may be that they believe the research. They have a strong desire to implement a next resilience action. Mm. And maybe a source of internal challenge is that they don't really want to invest time in this. They Mm. find they have so many other things to do. It's just very hard. They cannot find the time. Then we would look at their external context. Well, maybe they live in an area where it is possible to step outside and go for a walk. Mm. And then we would look at the challenges. Well, the work demands are 24-7, so it's hard to actually carve out and protect that time. Well, then a possible realistic next step, maybe to go for a five-minute walk, alarm on your phone, you walk for two and a half minutes, come back. Mm. Something that is doable given this context and that they can realistically implement. 
Mm. And then they do it. And then we're starting on the path of creating changes. Mm. Because a lot of it is about reframing, isn't it? Our internal systems, the sort of the way we talk to ourselves. And when you said to me, when you said then, you know, it's just the way it is. I think that's resignation that we get quite used to. It's like, I can't do anything about it. The system's like that. There's nothing I can do. Um, And I think if we move from resignation to acceptance, which is what I read in your internal context, external context of really understanding where we have leverage and taking action, as you said, you know, just understanding is not enough. Taking action, even if it's a five-minute walk, you know, we do have time and we have personal agency to create that time. But I liked the idea as well of I found so many things in your book that are tangible and actionable and the internal external context really spoke to me. Another one, and I think it's because I come from the business world and I'm used to these tools and that, you know, that they talk to me and they help me figure things out. And But the whole idea of supply and demand, I really like that. I found it really interesting, you know, changing the way we think about resilience. But how do people react to that supply and demand exercise? And can you walk our listeners through it? I mean, I must admit, I found it quite challenging. And I got really curious about why I found it so challenging. Exactly. So just so listeners are um, know what we're talking about, mm. really, in this part of the exercise, I invite all, I say all of us, because I try to apply my own tool, <laughs> um, <laughs> to create literally two lists. So one list is all the demands you have right now in your life. Mm. So it could be work demands. It could be personal demands. It could be negative demands, the ones you wish you didn't have, and the positive ones, the ones you're happy to have. You just got a promotion. Fabulous. And it demands more attention, more energy, more thinking, more emotional investment, whatever, right? Mm. So you really want to get through this list. And the other list is sources of supply. I Yes, I'm already going for walks because I have a dog and the dog brings me out a couple of times a day, whatever, Mm. right? So the kinds of things I'm doing. And so, and I love your comment about how on one hand could sound fairly simple. On the other hand, when you sit down to do it, it's a different story. So for some people, one of the good ways to start there, the more challenging part is the demand list for most people. Mm. And so sometimes what I'll say is, okay, start with listing three main demands you have in your work context and three main demands you have in your personal context. Mm. So it's a start. Then add as many as you can think of, big or small. And so that way we're at least started and it's easier to add. Mm. Uh, sometimes one of the things I've heard often in uh, when I do workshops about mm. the book is people will just individually to me, they won't raise their hand to say this. It's when I walk around, some of them will say, okay, my partner is dealing with a severe health issue right now. Maybe they have cancer or whatever. And it is demanding a lot of my time, but I can't possibly write this here. Yeah. And then I say, yes, 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 you have to. That's very important. That will make you an even better person to support your partner. Mm. It will allow you to protect your health even better because you will be more realistic about it. Mm. Now you can shred the list after, you can burn it, (laughs) whatever. But it's important to take this moment to have just really honest visibility on what that looks like. And that's really, that's this exercise. It's useful for two reasons. Sometimes people will do this and in itself, it will make them realize how it's not aligned with their values, which is another exercise. And Mm. so that will start creating ideas for Mm. change. Mm. But it's also useful towards building our 
strategic plan because again that's part of being realistic yeah a big is sometimes a you know part of what makes us a really good professional a really good leader a good entrepreneur as well is that we are positively biased yes we tend to tell ourselves we can do this it's going to go well we'll figure it out we're not we're not thinking it's going to be all smooth sailing but we're like yes we're going mm. and all this is wonderful and it can also almost become a liability where we actually it's it's a whole blind spot over here yeah <laughs> where, yes right all these demands live that we're minimizing and then that puts us at risk so all mm. we're doing is making sure we see them exactly where they are. Mm. And it's fantastic. It's still good. Mm. It will allow us to make better decisions. And I think it's really interesting that all those demands that we don't call demands, either because <laughs> we feel we should be doing them or it's just what we do or that's what we do as parents. or you know. And when you see that long list and then you see the shorter list of supply, you think, hmm. <laughs> okay, it was, it was very telling for me, but it took me quite a long time to actually formalize and get over myself and have these courageous conversations with myself about, no, that is a demand and it is demanding things of you and you should put it down. And, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how we train ourselves to into our own definitions of, of resilience. I find that very interesting. The supply part was also quite difficult for me, quite challenging in terms of saying, oh, this is where I get all that from, but there's twice the amount of things on my demand list. So, so, so then it's like, oh, Oh, do I do I not have enough resilience? And that was the first reaction. Is, oh, so I don't have enough resilience. It's, it's interesting to see how we're formatted into thinking that we should have enough resilience to do everything we're asked to do and not necessarily everything we want to do. Yes, right. As if we were, uh, I don't know, a non-human that you can just <laughs> pile things on. And, you know, the other interesting aspect is that early career you know, the, the situation, it varies, of course, each person's mm. context will be different. Mm. What has often happened, though, when people start doing this exercise now, they realize that early career, naturally, the context was supportive and, and involved more sources of supply without yes. naturally yes. paying. That's in part why it was more tolerable we didn't need to pay attention to it as much it would have been great it would have helped us now yeah <laughs> um, and hopefully the book will make it its way in in early career professionals and leaders hands but there is a point where the level of demands is such that there's no amount of supply that's going to match it yeah. so we actually do need to make decisions yeah and that's quite a hard ask isn't it to accept that we can't do everything when mm -hmm. good leaders can do everything you know it's, it's this glorification of hustle culture and delivering and being resilient and you know being on 24 7 and I think individually we get caught up in that but as a team we do as well don't we and the team resilience I love the anecdote in the book on Sylvie's team where in fact they successfully mastered a great project but at the end they were all exhausted and you know, the, your observation was that they had been using individual resilience, but not building team resilience. Um, and I sat for quite some time with that thought of, okay, so what is the difference there? Can can you walk us through the difference between being individually resilient and then collectively resilient? That's right. That's right. Resilient as a team. Yeah. So definition wise, okay, just so we start that part of the reflection similarly. So individually, our ability to go through adversity come out even stronger. And as a team, same thing. The ability of the team 
to go through adversity come out even stronger. Now, as a team, there are two things that will allow the team to be even more resilient. There's many, but two mm-hmm. key ones will be obviously here's the recipe. Simple. No, no. <laughs> that would be, be too good. <laughs> yeah, right. That would be too good. But but, but the, the two things I want to mention now are two characteristics of resilient teams that have been shown by research to be present, interestingly, in any type of team, mm-hmm. whether we're you know, geographically dispersed, temporary, uh, stable, changes very quickly, all kinds of te- teams will need to have, number one, clarity on their goal. Mm. Everyone's clear on the goal we have together as a team. Because if we do, then even though each of us has a role, we will naturally adapt and shift towards this common goal because we've got mm. clarity on where we're going. And the second thing is psychological safety. A context created where we all know we can share different points of view, conflicting point of views, and it they will be received. We, mm. we can all talk about this, which is really important mm. for teams to be creative and effective, right? And so it's it's shifting from looking at individual resilience, which is still very important, to sure. the resilience of the overall team, our ability as a team to go through adversity, come out even stronger. So there are many other actions that we can take as a team. But if you're a leader of a team, what we want, for example, is to look at, okay, what kinds of adversity, what kinds of challenges might we face in the next three, six, 12 months? How can we prepare potentially proactively as a team? Having team meetings, talking about this upcoming challenge and how can we prepare ourselves, for example, Mm. maybe one of them. But the idea is to think of the team as an entity in itself and investing, ideally proactively, in preparing for when we're dealing with these challenges as mm-hmm. opposed to just going in and hoping for the best. And it's back to clarity, isn't it? I mean, you speak quite a lot about personal agency. And for me, that's key in creating sustainable change, although it's a collective result, is that, you know, when you say we all have an obligation to create movement, even if we have loads and loads of demands, and it's not, you know, you're not your job description and you all have a duty almost, I think, to to take, to do what you can to create resilience. So clearly that's coming from an individual. But I think that's the only way that you can create sustainable team resilience. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, yes, yes. And what I'm saying there is that because sometimes we think that the team resilience responsibility mm. is that of the leader, the formal leader yes. of and it is true that the leader, it should be on the reader's radar and that leader ideally will initiate mm. uh, paying attention to it. At the same time, we mm. are all influencing the team, even if we're not formally the leader of yes. it. And we're definitely all in a position to positively influence the resilience of the team. Mm. And the more we can decentralize where this is coming from, the more we can all contribute our part, the better. And what I mean by this is that we don't need to do, it's not like now, okay, now as a team member, I need to create a yes. increasing the team resilience yeah. plan, you know, yeah. uh, moving forward. It could be as simple as how do I respond if one of us makes a mistake? Who's going to be the first in the conversation to say, all right, we're going to learn from this and need to fix it and we will grow from it. Hmm. Simple comment. We hmm. will grow from it. Now we're talking together as a team in a way for us to share the learning from this situation moving forward. Mm. Be as simple as this. 
could be yeah. as simple as recognizing something someone in the team did well that helped all of us. That's a way to build further psychological safety and team resilience. Hmm. So these are small actions. They don't require a lot of time, investment, permission, budget, none of this. Mm -hmm. And it contributes. And so that's what I'm saying. The more Mm -hmm. each of us put our little addition in, Mm -hmm. the more it influences it. Small actions make big impact, don't they? Like you just said, you know, and if I come back to psychological safety, particularly the subject of mental health and burnout and stress for me still remains taboo. So we've opened a conversation in organizations. It's signposted and sometimes it's talked about, but my observation is that it still remains taboo, sort of. You know, people don't want to admit or talk about it. What trends are you seeing there? And how do you address that in your book? Agreed. It's more talked about. I mean, it it is an uncomfortable, unpleasant thing to think. Yeah. think about and talk about in fairness and it is at a different place in different organizations right yes. because it is yeah. very much connected to the culture of a yes. team yes. or of an organization and so so it varies but the most useful piece i think is to be clear on what it is so we know from the world health organization burnout is combination of exhaustion cynicism and then it impacts our uh, mm. actual performance it's not a diagnosis but it mm. can lead to diagnosis like anxiety depression on mm. the mental health front and then a number of things on the physical health front as well the most uh, useful piece i would say again in the context where most people are minimizing mm. these signs right mm. now is to try to Pay attention a bit upstream. So before being fully exhausted, we're, you know, overextended. Mm. Before being fully cynical, we're less engaged. Before having a massive impact or significant impact on our performance, more things are falling through the cracks. Mm. So as we're finding ourselves in this window here, Mm. what we want is to pay attention to these signs. And even if we decide not to talk to anyone else for now, that's fine at work. Maybe let's make sure we mention these observations to whoever you work with, whether it's your coach, whether if you're connecting with someone on the mental health front or even your uh, physical health person, whether it's your physician or mm. your practitioner, you want to make sure you share this with someone else because then they will help you identify perhaps more realistically what's going on. Mm. And then you can start impacting it sooner. Some mm. Often what I've seen is, again, people who see themselves as, extremely resilient, almost invincible. No one is, but that's how we think about ourselves. We minimize these signs and it they will not go away before we because we mm. minimize them. They will mm. stay and keep going. Mm. And so the sooner instead we just look at them for what they are and pay attention proactively, it's much easier to deal with with them there. Mm. So for our listeners who are sitting here thinking, hmm that sounds familiar or yes, yeah, that's that's a little bit how I feel. What would be the first step to creating a resilience plan? Because, you know, in organizations, we do strategy planning, planning, workload planning. But you outline very clearly in your book how to go about building a resilience plan. I would love it if you could walk our listeners through that with yeah. the ideas of pillars and the simplicity with which you talk about it. Clearly, it's not a simple topic, but, but it, it's... You, you formalize it very simply. I did. I did. And yeah. I did such that, literally, if you happen to uh, fly a lot for your work <laughs> or do a lot of, you know, moments where you're in mm. transit, 
you can actually get this book boarding your flight. If if it's a slightly longer flight, you'll be able to get out with your plan, figure it out. Because I know no one has time. That's in part, I've designed it to take specifically this audience from point A to point B. That's the idea for the book. And so the book helps us explore in very succinct ways a Mm. few parts which we've touched on today, like your values, your sources of supply and demand and your context, just so you have this information. Once you have it, then literally what I'm proposing here, and I've done this with people, that's why it works really well. And that's why Mm. I thought, oh my God, I need to put this in the book so more people can have it sooner. It's great. It's so useful. Oh, well, thank you for saying this. it, It is literally... If you've done strategic plans before, you'll relate to this. If you haven't, you will still relate to this. It's not that complicated. <laughs> really, when we're building a strategic plan, there's a lot of pre-work, obviously. And in the book, there is. But none of this is going to take you then, you know, each exercise, five, 10 minutes. You can mm. think more if you want, but you could actually get these exercises done in very few minutes. Mm. But by the time you get there, when you have a strategic plan, you have your goal, in this case, increasing my resilience. Mm -hmm. And then you usually identify at least three, calling them strategic pillars, sometimes for four or five, but for right now, let's just go with three. And these strategic pillars are overall directions in which we want to invest in order to reach the goal. And then within each strategic pillar, you'll have what we would call tactics or Mm -hmm. actions that basically Mm -hmm. bring this pillar to life. So Here's an example. So let's say I've worked with you, Susie, and I'm going to invent everything here. So (laughs) don't think I'm right. (laughs) But let's say Susie and I have done a bit of this work and now we're ready to build her plan. And through the work, Susie has realized how she very much values family and extended close one. She values family. However, in the context of everything she's doing, Family gets the last part of her at <laughs> the end of the day and, and whatever is left. And so maybe a strategic pillar is going to be family relationships. Mm. And then maybe some of her actions will be, maybe Susie works from home and sometimes people arrive and they get into her office and start talking to her while she's trying to finish something. Sounds Not familiar. Podcast, but <laughs> typing an email, for example. <laughs> maybe one of her actions will be, okay, if someone comes in my office, I'm going to stand up from my desk and turn around immediately. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lose what's written there. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I value family. They're important for me. My door was open. They came in. I'm standing up. Mm-hmm. Easy action. And now suddenly I feel more connected to what's important for me. Mm-hmm. She may have another pillar, which she decided to call boundaries, where she's going to get even better. Maybe she does need to be on call. Maybe she does need to have her cell phone with her. And when tactic may be, cell phone goes in the cupboard for 15 minutes, one five, every day between mm-hmm. 6 p.m. and 6.15 p.m. It's a very short window. Nothing's going to happen. She can do this. But it's a window that she's now given back control to herself to make mm-hmm. some decisions. Mm-hmm. So these are examples of how that could look like. You're getting people to create habits, aren't you? To create different sort of deliberate practice. Because 15 yes. minutes out of a day, what's 15 minutes out of a day? But you can't put, one can't put one's phone down for 15 minutes just in case, you know, I need to be indispensable or not, depending on, on how I frame resilience. But are these resilience plans only 
for leaders, therefore, in organizations? Or can we also apply it to what I call self-leadership in everyday life? Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, because, I mean, number one, one of the key things about this plan and how we even get there is that it brings together both our professional side and our personal side, mm. because one person in the end. Yep, so yep. even though we, we get at this initially from a work performance approach, it's very important to incorporate every all the demands from the personal mm. side. Mm. So it does incorporate it. You know, when you, I learned, write a book, you want to focus on who are you specifically writing it for um, to have a bit of that clarity and and all. And so that's that's the intention. But what you're talking about, I've heard it because in the process of writing the book, I had early on workshops. I've had advanced readers influencing the content and and all these things. Mm. And very often people would say, okay, fabulous, whatever comments they had. And I shared some of these concepts with my partner who's, you know, for the next year at home supporting our family. Mm. And they found also that they could build this plan. And, and that's true. It, it can connect for various contexts. And, and I like that also because it takes the onus away from you're only a leader if you have a team. And I don't believe that. I think leadership is about having an impact and shaping the future, whatever that future is, whether it's in your family, in society, in your community, et cetera. But but time is running. What what is can I ask you, what is the most transformative thing that the learning from, from your research and from writing this book? Shifting, it's it's shifting the perspective from all the assumptions about I have it already, I don't need to do anything about it, which then I talked about this in the book, brings us from thinking you're a rock to a wreck, basically, if you don't. Mm. So it's shifting that perspective from it's there, I don't need to do something about it, to I have it in a number of ways, mm. and I can nourish it, which mm. will allow me to bring an even better self to everything I do. Mm. So that is, it's this shift paired with the actions that then it's not just inspirational in some ways, it is also they see it in their hands through their actions, hmm. which then stays over time. I've had one person come to my workshop twice, turns out, oh, for yeah. all kinds of reasons. <laughs> and so she had done her plan four months earlier. And then she happened to be in my same book workshop again and you know said hello and everything. Yeah. But she decided to go to to you know listen to the whole thing and really bring herself to the full exercise. And then she came back to me and said, Okay, this is fabulous because I realized this plan today, four months later, is very different from my plan four months ago Okay, because I've accomplished it. I'm now able to shift my goal, shift my strategic pillars and shift my actions. So it does move people forward. And that's magnificent. And it's a practice, though, isn't it? It's something that you take with you as you evolve, because learning and growing is never done, is it? That's I mean, that's what humans do. They evolve. Same as strategic plans within our yeah. organizations. It's not one done forever. It's one done for now. Revisit, adjust, learn from it, and keep building. Same thing. Yeah, so not just one checklist and done, 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 done. Okay. No. What, what would your final call to action uh, therefore be, Marie-Hélène, to, to our listeners who are considering what they can do to not necessarily be more resilient, but to reframe the way they think about their resilience and understand how to evolve? I would say be curious. I mean, other than 
buy the book. That yes, may be a call to action to consider. But but uh, no, seriously, I would say stay curious um, because even if we do the reflection with the book or without, mm. it requires us to open our mind to how are we actually realistically doing mm. and what opportunities realistically are there for us and, and then taking them. So I would say mm. the curiosity. Okay, curiosity. And I would, however, uh, encourage everyone to read it because there's lots of small exercises in there that can have a big impact. So thank you very much. Marilyn, thank you for coming and sharing your research, what's in your book and your thoughts on this. Where can people find out more about you, your book, your workshops eventually and what you do? Yes, yes. You can go to theresilienceplan.com. Okay. And that will lead to everything I do. You can also find me on LinkedIn, just using my name. And uh, always happy to connect, hear from you and uh, go from there. If you sign up for, there is a newsletter specifically for people interested in the book and you'll get the first chapter if uh, you're uh, interested. So that's uh, something to consider. Excellent. Thank you. And I will put the links in the show notes so that people can find it easily. Thank you very much. Thanks for a great conversation. Thank you, Susie. Same here. Thanks.